You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Suffer from reoccurring dreams that are sometimes nightmares. Uh, usually, what happens is I get very stressed during the day, and then I go to bed stressed, and then I have dreams that stress me out more than. Uh, the day did, uh, that kind of thing. Anybody else suffer from a reoccurring dream or nightmare? Those sort of things. So, Okay, a few of us do. Um, I am curious to hear what the theme is behind some of those dreams. Uh, Dan? I sometimes have dreams that I'm late for work. Okay, dreams that you're late for work, so frantically, you know, trying to get there. Yeah, they're not fun. Right. It, it, the kind of dream, like, every, no matter what turn you take, it's always the wrong turn, so it gets worse. Okay, all right. I think I've had a couple of those. Mary? Uh, mine's also work-related. It's like I show up, and no one's bartending, and no one's serving, and all of the tables are full, and I'm responsible for all of it. And so I get there, and there's already, like, 100 people waiting for their food, and I just can't catch up. Okay, yeah. So you're entering into chaos, and, uh, and yeah, it just gets more chaotic. Yeah, I'm not going to analyze anybody's dreams there, uh, but it sounds like usually we're taking our chaos with us into, into bed, and it translates into something different. Okay, how about another one? Um, sometimes when I make new friends, I have dreams that they turn out to be monsters. It just makes me feel like I shouldn't trust them at all. I'm really depressed. <laughs> okay, well, that's yeah, that's what dreams do, and it's it's funny how they they go on repeat once in a while. I actually have this crazy dream where I'm flying. Anybody have flying dreams where no no airplanes, it's just you kind of thing? Okay, here's what's stupid about mine. I cannot stay airborne unless I actually do this with my arms. <laughs> And that stresses me out, uh, that sort of thing. How about the showing up to school and uh, suddenly realizing you've been there an entire semester and did not show up to one of your classes? Anybody have that one? <laughs> Some of you probably actually do that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, stuff. I woke up in the morning with my arms up in the air on the Navy aircraft air floating away. Well, that's how they get more airplanes on the aircraft carrier. They fold their wings up. So, yeah, have to do that with sailors as well. Um, so, this is probably the one that stresses me out the most. Is I will have a dream that I have shown up to accomplish some task or carry out some work or something, and I am absolutely unqualified to do that. And so it's like I'm trying to learn the job that I'm supposed to be doing, and that's why I'm stressed all the time. So it, have you ever actually had to do that in real life, where you, you had to accomplish something where you weren't qualified to do that sort of thing? Motherhood. Yeah, yeah. Preaching. (laughs) Happens all the time. Well, that's what we're going to look at today uh, because um, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are put into the body of Christ, which we call the church. Uh, Church is not a building. It is a uh, group of people who all follow Jesus Christ together. And, uh, And we all have a part to play in this body. 
Okay. So as we go into, in, into this chapter, uh, I want us to have in mind that, uh, that, that we have a work to do that we're not qualified to do in and of ourselves, but through the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, we are able to do that. Uh, when it comes to spiritual gifts, Paul did not want the Corinthians to be agnostic. Okay, meaning without knowledge, without understanding. And uh, interestingly, the structure of Corinthians, before we had, you know, we did not, they did not have chapter numbers back then. Okay? So what we read is chapter 12, 13, and 14 is actually one great big segment. And, and Paul began that in, in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says, look, I, I, you know, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware. Uh, again, we have an understanding that there was a letter that we do not have that was sent from the Corinthians to Paul asking about questions. And there was also or asking about questions, asking a lot of questions about a lot of issues. And, uh, and we're going to see those addressed in this chapter. Uh, also, uh, there were some troubles within this church that Paul had to address. And these are the things that we're reading about in 1 Corinthians. I'm so glad 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament because they were a screwed up church. Okay, I don't know if any of you are all here today church hunting, you know, and you're looking for the perfect church. Good luck. <laughs> Every time I look for the perfect church, I show up and it's no longer perfect. <laughs> um, I like the fact that, that Christ said, I will build my church... And, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's what he is going to accomplish. It's something he's going to do in spite of what we see around us constantly. Because all of us are imperfect people who are desperately in need of God's grace. And, and that's what we do when we come together is we actually get to share being in God's grace together. We actually get to share being imperfect. Okay? And, and we get to be built up by Jesus. But he also kind of lets us be a part of that work of building up. And again, 1 Corinthians 14 is going to help us to do that. All right, so I'm going to have to take a big old slug of water because I'm already drying up, and I've got to read this chapter to you. Not that you can't read it yourself, but I like to be able to talk about exactly what we see here in the Scripture. So here we go. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how I will how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. 
But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the laws written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for the believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole clear church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or believers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, or most three, and in each each in turn, and then let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one to another, or one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anyone, anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Okay, clear as mud, right? So, I don't know if you noticed it, but as I was reading that, there are a whole lot of ecclesiastical hot potatoes in this chapter. Okay, so we got speaking in tongues, we've got prophetic utterances, and we've got women being silent in the church. And you're all looking at me like, okay, let her rip. (laughs) Actually, those things should not become a distraction to what is actually the main point of of this text. I think, first of all, it's important for us to understand that, that the big idea of this chapter is that things in a church service should be done for the benefit 
for the edification, for the building up of others. Now, this was a problem that the first Corinthians had. They thought it was all about building up me. This is, this is all about me. I want this, I want this great spiritual gift because then I come across as really, really super spiritual, okay? And, uh, and then God probably loves me more than other people because he gave me that gift or something. And, uh, and, and then it's all about using this gift so that I can, that I can become stronger as a Christian. And Paul's trying to correct that and say, no, the reason that you have a spiritual gift is so that you can build up another. Did you see how often that was repeated in this chapter? Use these things so that others can be encouraged. Do this so that they can be built up. Okay, so that is really the big idea here. But what do we do with these other little distractions that pop in here? Because we're like, whoa, those are, you know, we call them hot potatoes because someone says, hey, speaking in tongues here, you talk about it. I don't want to. Well, it's pretty simple. So whatever theological background you have, whatever doctrinal history you might have, whatever church you went to, you probably had some kind of a teaching about tongues. And basically it comes down to, to two ideas. One is, is that tongues is only human languages. Okay, that God gives you the ability to speak so that somebody can hear the gospel. And we see that happen in, in Acts. All right? But there's the other idea that tongues are some kind of a heavenly language um, that is unintelligible. But it's there so that you can pray to God, that God's actually assisting you in your prayer life. Okay, I think Paul was saying both of those things actually happen as part of the gift of tongues. But whatever our view is, whether it's a known language or whether it's, it's an ecstatic language that none of us really even know what it is, uh, Paul says we've got to set some boundaries on that or you're going to just create confusion within the church. Okay, That's his main point in this. All right. Now the other one is prophetic utterances. That gets a little scary. You know, what if we get people that just pop up in church and they say, "I have a word from the Lord," and they just drop something on us, and we go, "Well, what do we do about that?" Well, Paul also gave instruction in the letter where he said, "The prophet is subject to prophets." You know, it says, as soon as somebody gives a prophecy and utterance, then the rest of the church was supposed to weigh what was said. Ooh. Oh, suddenly you have responsibility with my preaching. In other words, whatever I'm saying up here, you should be weighing it and say, is, is he speaking truth? Is he actually giving us God's word? You know, otherwise you'd all be drinking some kind of weird Kool-Aid, right, Josh? <laughs> that would not be good. <laughs> so now in order for you to weigh what is being said, that means... Oh, you better know something about the scriptures. Okay, that means you should be reading them too. That's why I say, while I'm reading 1 Corinthians 14, I want you to be reading it as well. I want you to see these words. I want you to keep me on track. If I'm saying something that is is contrary to God's word, then I expect you, I don't know, throw something at me? No, don't do that. Let me know. Wait a minute, that's, that's... that's contrary. See, that's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. We're not supposed to be just one guy up here talking and everybody else just passively listening, but saying, okay, let's dig into God's word. Let's, let's see what it says because we need to know this so that we can build one another up. Okay, now, understanding prophecies, there's two ways to understand what we mean by that word prophecy or prophesy. Uh, first, there are those who gave uh, uh, direct divine revelation. 
you know, like the Old Testament prophets, thus saith the Lord. Uh, the apostles worked as prophets. God spoke to them and through the Holy Spirit inspired the words of Scripture. You're not going to get anything that's going to add to the Bible from me. Okay, If I'm speaking prophetically, I'm not going to give anything that adds to the Bible. If anything, I hope that it's going to be something that explains the Bible or gives greater understanding of that. And that's the second level of prophecy, which I think Paul is talking about here because he even mentioned these things. He's talking about prophecy that builds up edification, um, exhortation. That's, that's encouragement. Prophecy that is consolation. Okay, think about that. If in the body of Christ there were more than one person who was building up believers, who was encouraging believers, who was consoling believers through speech by the Holy Spirit. It is no wonder that Paul wanted everybody to prophesy. Because what a healthy church that would be. Now again, Paul says that he understands not everybody gets every gift. But he says, I would rather you yearn for those things that build up rather than the things that just only build you up or just the things that might create confusion or something. Okay. Now, women being sat in the church, man, I wish that were vodka. <laughs> okay, obviously we just had winter up here talking. Okay, we, we had ladies sharing here, here in church. So what are we supposed to do with, with what Paul just said in here? Well, Paul is not giving this blanket forbiddance of women saying something in the church. It kind of looks like that when you read it. But we have to assume uh, that we know something about this culture. And we have to also assume that this was probably one of the things that was in that letter that was written to Paul that says, Paul, what do we do? We, we, we have a kind of a disturbance happening in, in our church services. And it's not because women are talking. It's not about them speaking up. In fact, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul even talks about women in the Corinthian church prophesying and praying. Okay, so we know that that it's not just this, oh, you, got, you can't say anything if you're of female persuasion. That's not it at all. It, it's not a. It's, the problem wasn't their gender. The problem was their culture. Now today, no matter who you are, male or female, you can go and get a degree in biblical studies, right? Okay, open and free to everybody. That's because that's our culture. In that day and age, women did not have that advantage. They did not have the opportunity to go and get deeper learning like they can now. So here's what's going on in the First Corinthian church. You've got all these lovely ladies who have come to Christ out of a very pagan, messed up culture, and then you've got somebody up there prophesying, and now the church is supposed to weigh the teaching that was just given to them, and they started asking all kinds of wild questions and coming up with all kinds of wild conclusions because of their lack of knowledge. And that led the whole church down rabbit trails. Okay? We only need Brian to do that. He creates his own rabbit trails. <laughs> but this goes back to, again, Paul saying, let everything be done orderly and so that people are built up. So when he says, ladies, instead of talking in church and you know, asking these questions and coming up with these conclusions based on your, your just the, the disadvantage that you had in not being able to learn these things, Paul's very forward-thinking and saying, all right, guys, man up. When you go home, sit down with the scriptures 
and help your wives gain deeper understanding. They didn't have Bible colleges back then, so it fell upon the husbands to do that. And then as these women were gaining deeper understanding, as, as the husbands who had the opportunity to learn and, and to deepen their understanding with things, as they passed it on to these ladies, then the ladies became the disciple makers of the, of the widows and the unmarried ladies within the church. And you see how that works? It was to build them up, to build them up. Okay, so they really weren't hot potatoes as much as as much as we really think they were. So, all right, how do we understand First Corinthians fourteen? Well, we understand it when we look at the structure that it's placed in. Now, what happens is chapters twelve, thirteen, and fourteen is what's is what's called a a chiasmic structure. It's these things that you get to learn in, in, in Bible school or by sitting and talking to Brian. Okay, because I didn't go to Bible school, so Brian just dumps these things into my head and I start learning stuff. He asked me. And, and basically what that is, is you have an idea, and that is A1. And then that is followed by another idea, which is B1. And then that is followed by a reinforcing idea to B, that's B2. And then it returns us back to the original idea, A2, with a, with a great summation. It was a, it was a means of communication that they used in that time in that culture, especially the Greek culture. And Paul was incorporating it many times into his writing. So here's what it looks like. Uh, in chapter 12, uh, he basically says, okay, look, uh, the, the spirit gives each believer gifts, okay? And, and they come in varied form. You don't all get the same gift. Okay, that would be pointless because he then goes in in chapter 12 to talk about the body and how you know my, my finger is interdependent upon my arm and my brain and so many other things, my heart pumping blood to it and the nerve endings and, and all those things. And, and he's using that as a metaphor of the body of Jesus Christ. We are all interdependent of one another. That's why we all get different gifts. Okay? That's why we all are supposed to exercise these different gifts because it's all about the building up of the church relationally. Okay, If every single one of us could preach, then we would all be here preaching, and, and, and what good would that be? Okay, If, if every single one of us could um, uh, have the gift of administration... Holy cow, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have to ask for help to clean the church and things like that. We would have that whipped and cheap, but but we wouldn't be gaining any knowledge about God's word. So you see, we have to have all these different gifts. It's a very simple analogy that he gives there. So what he says, the A1 idea is desire the exercising of spiritual gifts. He says that's a good thing. You know, he's actually complimenting the Corinthians. The fact that you have this fixation on gifts, there's there's a good thing about that. So desire these gifts so that the church will be built up. And then the follow-up idea, B1, is however in splendid these gifts might be, no matter how legitimate the expression of the Spirit might be, it is of no value if it is divorced from love. And that's what we looked at last week, was this agape, chesed love of God, this incredible love that, that our humanity doesn't know how to comprehend, because it doesn't come from us, it only comes from God. So if you think about it, he also attaches the fruits of the Holy Spirit to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We, those things have to be in conjunction. I mean, what are some, can somebody just name me a gift of the Holy Spirit, or not a gift, a fruit of the Holy Spirit out of Galatians 5? Love. Peace. Peace. Joy. Patience. Patience. Gentleness. Gentle, okay. <laughs> you guys are doing pretty good there. You passed the test, all right? So... For example, what good would my preaching be if it were devoid of love? You know, Paul already said, I'd just be up here being a clanging symbol. How annoying. Just stop. 
if, if there were no gentleness being generated in me by the Holy Spirit, no goodness, no brotherly love. And so you see Paul's linking those things together with his second idea when he gets to chapter 13. Okay, then he reinforces that idea in chapter 14, verse 1, where he says, make the way of love a definitive characteristic. Okay, before we even talk more about exercising gifts, it's now up to each and every one of us to say, okay, if this is what love is, then as a follower of Jesus Christ, I must pursue that. I must go wholeheartedly into growing in that. And that's not easy. Again, because it's something we just don't naturally do. It's something that comes as we develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And, and that's a hard thing. We, we get what it means to have a relationship with the Father. Okay? We, we kind of understand that. Uh, we get what it means to have a relationship with the Son. Okay, He's the Savior. He loved me. He demonstrated that on the cross. Um, and then we talk about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Well, we kind of don't get that. Okay, we, 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 what is that? You know, like I said, it's like we're at a family reunion. There's, there's Dad, there's the Son, and then there's the weird uncle. You know, that we're a little scared of. But then as we get to know him, we, we get to realize, man, he's, he's probably one of the best ones ever. Okay, and he's with us constantly. There's a reason Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. And it's not an it, it's a him. It's a person. And so we're supposed to have a relationship with him. And as we learn as Christians to develop that relationship, that fruit begins to be produced in our lives. Okay, easier said than done, but that's the concept behind it. So that then leads to the, the, the conclusion of his chiasmic argument here. He says, this then should lead us to desire the greater gifts which build up the church. You know, Paul's actually saying it's okay to desire gifts that will build up the church. Look for those, hunger for those, yearn for those, search for those, pursue those things. Okay, that's his main point. Exercise each and every one of you the gifts that God has put into you. Do not neglect it. And do it so that the church is built up. Okay? It won't be a perfect church, but it will be one that's, that's well put together. I gave the title of this sermon, uh, Oedipus Rex. Okay? Uh, and that's a play on Oedipus Rex. If you ever heard that, that's a play written by Sophocles, and it is a tragedy. Okay, uh, here I'll just ruin it for all of you. So this this guy was deserted as a child. He grew up, killed his father, the king, and married his mother. Okay, when all that came out into the open, the mother hung herself out of shame, and the son Oedipus gouged his eyes out with her hairpins. Yeah, it's a tragedy, right? Okay, this is not a tragedy. This is a triumph. This is Oedipus Rex because an edifice is, is an enormous building. Okay, And even though the church is not a building, it's, it's a group of people, the king, Rex, is building the greatest work that ever was, and that is the church. And I think we need to hear that, and I think we need to say that more often because there's a whole lot of church bashing going on. Okay? And there's been reason why there's church bashing going on. Okay? We just have to own up to that. That yeah, at times as Christians, we really, we really kind of drop the ball. Okay? But that does not mean that Christ's work of building up the church has been thwarted. 
Instead, what we need to do is get excited about the body of Christ again, to get excited about the church, because it is God's means of communicating the gospel to this world. So it's the most important work that you and I can be a part of, is building up this body that God wants to use to communicate himself to this this great, big, wonderful world that he loves so much. So, with that being said, let's go to Spiritual Gifts 101. The night before Jesus was crucified, see how I'm linking this into Palm Sunday? I had to stretch a little bit. But <laughs> The night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus gave his apostles what we know as the Olivet Discourse. And, and basically what that means is Jesus taught his apostles something on the Mount of Olives. Okay, So we have that big word that we give it. Now, that's John chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16. I'd encourage you to read those chapters. Um, And they have an awful lot to say. In fact, Jesus had an awful lot to say about the Holy Spirit uh, in these chapters. Uh, He says this in John 14, 12. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and this should blow our minds, and greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Okay? Now, did you see what Jesus just said in that text? Every Christian, whoever believes, is going to do the works that I do. And they're even going to be greater works than I've done. Have you ever tried to figure that out? Man, Jesus raised the dead. He healed lepers. I haven't done a bit of that in my history as a Christian. Okay? Well, here's our best example. Simon Peter. Okay? Class A screw-up, right? Okay, but disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, imperfect person, dependent upon the grace of God. When Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came to Peter, what did he do? This guy who denied Christ with his mouth at one point is now by the power of the Holy Spirit proclaiming Christ to all, all the people in Jerusalem. And what happened? Thousands came to Christ in that day. Jesus never did that. But this lunkhead fisherman Peter did because of the promise of the Holy Spirit, which leads us into into another chapter, uh, chapter 15. Uh, Jesus says, when the Helper comes, I I like that that's what Jesus called the Holy Spirit, the Helper. I don't know about you, but I need need all the help I can get. And, And that testifies that the main job of the Holy Spirit in relationship to us is, hey, I'm here to help you. Okay, It's not like the government. <laughs> I'm from the government. I'm here to help. No, run away. <laughs> but God, the Holy Spirit, comes to us and says, I am, I am here to help you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? To know that when your feet hit the floor in the morning, God is on your side and he wants to help you succeed in being a follower. He wants to help you do what Humanly, we cannot do? I just, I just love that. So he says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So, just in those two passages, we learn that every, every believer is imparted some kind of spiritual manifestation through the Holy Spirit. 
And the purpose behind those is so that Christ would be made known. Okay? Now, this comes down to the most basic thing that you and I need to know. I better know how I'm supposed to operate in the Holy Spirit if I'm going to expect Christ to be glorified in my life. Alright? So, here's just some main points. As we said, every Christian is given, first of all, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Before we even talk about spiritual gifts, we have to understand that what Jesus just said, whoever believes, once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, an amazing thing happens. God the Spirit dwells inside us. You know, and he doesn't come with, 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 a, with a big flash and bang or lights or the choir going, Whoa, heaven's opening up and that sort of thing. He just shows up. And, and we, we know it because something's different in our hearts. Um, something's different in the way we think. We, we have this love for God and this love for other people that we may not have had before. And we're starting to wake up to those things. I, I love, I won't say it the way Nick said it all the time as he was journeying towards Christ, but he talked about being spiritually woke. And, uh, and it was amazing to actually watch that happen. The, the, as the Holy Spirit came into his life, he, he just woke up to things that he had been dead to before. And that's, that's what happens to all of us. All right. Now, the Holy Spirit, as we're told in chapter 12 of, of 1 Corinthians, manifests himself in every Christian, but he does it in various ways. Okay? So every Christian here, every believer here, has some sort of way that the Holy Spirit's going to manifest himself, but it may not be the, what you think it is. It may not be what you want it to be, actually. I never wanted to be a preacher. Okay? I don't like public speaking. I nearly flunked speech class in high school. Um, I, I, you have five minutes to give us a persuasive speech. You know, I couldn't persuade myself out of a box in five minutes. And I could never say anything for five minutes. I'd be done with my speech because I'd be up there dripping my thing, rattling through my notes, you know, sweating and almost at the point of throwing up or wetting my pants. That's how bad it was. And then I'd get done and look up. I, 38 seconds. Fantastic. <laughs> now along comes the Holy Spirit, and I can't say anything in five minutes. Okay. It takes way longer now. I think sometimes we look at someone, I mean, I know I did. I, I, I looked at somebody who was just a, an eloquent preacher, and I was like, man, I wish I could do that. You know, you, you get that thought. I wish I could do that. But no, I really don't want to get up in front of people and talk. Um, not everybody's a gifted evangelist. I have a friend, Corey Harriff, who does Young Life. That guy, you know, he, he could pass gas and win people to Jesus Christ. That's how gifted he is as an evangelist. You know, I, I just, I don't know how to say it any other way. He just, he just opens his mouth and he preaches Jesus and people respond to him. I'm not an evangelist. Okay. Now here's something we need to understand. Even if we're not gifted, we're still supposed to do the work of an evangelist. We're told that in First Timothy. Uh, that means we still have to proclaim the gospel. We just may do it a different way. We may not be the guy like Billy Graham that can talk to a thousand people, or thousands of people, and have a few thousand come up and receive Christ. We might just do it one on one. Okay. We have to understand that there really is no exhaustive list of spiritual gifts in the Scripture. There's lots of lists, but that doesn't mean that every spiritual gift is covered. 
And uh, we just have to understand that, that whatever is given to us, God has given to us for a purpose, and that's, that purpose is to benefit the church, to build up the church, and to glorify Jesus Christ. I think we have to understand, too, that the reason you have a different gift from my gift, or gifts, and all around this place, is because we need that relationship. We need that interdependence in the body. I, I need your gift. Uh, you need that person's gift. Um, somebody needs my gift. And, and that's how we should function. So I had this friend. His name was Rick Ogden. Well, it wasn't was. He's still alive. Um, Rick, was, Rick was a funny guy. And that's probably why he's my friend. I, I, just, I love misfits, and Rick was Prince of the Misfits. And he got involved in this single adult Bible study that I was doing, which we called Saints, Single Adults in Neutral Territory. Yeah, that's a great name. Uh, and I asked him if he wanted to lead a study sometime. And he said, no. And I go, why not? And he goes, come on. You've heard me talk. And I thought about what he just said. I go, oh yeah, I know what you mean. Because every time Rick tried to express an idea, somehow in his head, it turned sideways and flopped over and did somersaults before it came out of his mouth. And it was just chaos when it came out of his mouth. He said, I just can't, I, I have the thoughts in my head, but by the time they get to my mouth, it just goes to pieces. I just am not gifted to do that. I'm like, oh, okay. But he says, I really, really want people to know God. I really want people to understand who Jesus Christ is. I says, that can't, it's not in me. Okay. I said, well, maybe you should pray for it. <laughs> well, one day in church, Rick is sitting at the back of the, of the church uh, service and there's this fluorescent light doing that thing, you know? What what does that do to you when you're under a fluorescent light that's flickering and buzzing? Just drives you nuts, doesn't it? Distracts you and everything. And that's what was happening to Rick. He was like, going, man, Pastor Dwayne is preaching this amazing message, and all I can think about is this stupid light bulb. Wait a minute. I bet you there's other people that are thinking about this stupid light bulb. So as soon as the church service was done, Rick, on his own volition, went and found a ladder, went and found where the, the fluorescent bulbs were stashed, and he went up there and he changed the light bulb. Simple, right? He told me about that. And he says, this is what I came to understand when I did that. That I may not be able to preach like Pastor Dwayne was preaching that day, but I can help people understand God's Word by removing the distractions that would take them away from it. He says, Nick, I think I found my spiritual gift. It's the gift of helps. Whatever, he says, that's what makes me come alive. If there's something I can do to help, I, I'll jump in there and help. And if that assists somebody in knowing who Jesus is, then he says, I'm happy to do it. Okay? Well, I told Rick, that's fantastic. Keep desiring the greater gifts. Like to prophesy, like Paul said here. Well, Rick never has gotten to a point where he could lead a Bible study or stand up and preach a message, or, or something like that. But he is a master at taking one or two teenagers and spending time with them, doing stuff with them, and as he does, instructing them about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's teaching, he's encouraging, he's exhorting, he's consoling, he's doing a prophetic work as he does that. Okay, So I say all that because... Um, 
How do you know? I said it. We should all know what our spiritual gift is, right? How do you know? Okay? There's all kinds of online spiritual gift assessments that you can take. Right? Just Google it. You'll find something. But most of those are just really kind of a glorified personality test. Okay? I'm not going to poo-poo them. You may discover something as you go through that and learn something about it. But I'm going to say I'm going to give you a harder way to do it. Okay, this is how you discover your spiritual gift. You decide to be obedient. Starts there. God, I will be obedient. I am here to serve. Well, let's go. You will find out real quick where your spiritual gift ate. <laughs> I am not a nursery worker. <laughs> I love kids, but don't stick me in there. It's not going to be edifying at all. <laughs> but I at least tried it. I at least tried that. So I just want to share you a little bit of my story. You already know that uh, I came into the kingdom. Um, I kind of came into the kingdom kicking and screaming. But when I, when I gave my life over to Jesus Christ, I basically said, you know, God, I'm tired of screwing it up. I, that's all I do is I just keep screwing my life up. So I'm going to let you screw it up now. Okay, and, and he did. And when I, when I first came to church, I told the, the, my friend who had witnessed to me, I said, look, I'll come to your church because if you cared enough to witness to me, to tell me about Jesus, and you had all these 120-year-old ladies praying for me, then I want to I be a part of that church. That means something to me. But you need to know something. I don't want to just come sit in a chair. I don't want to just come sit. I said, I want to do something with what God has given to me. He goes, okay. I think that'll happen at our church. So we're there for a little while, a couple of months old as a Christian, and my, senior, my pastor gets up and he says, hey, you know, we're about 50 people, he says, I want to start a youth group. So if any of you would like to be part of leading that youth group, come and talk to me. I hated teenagers. <laughs> Just didn't like them. I don't know why. Maybe, maybe because they reminded me of me when I was a teenager. I don't know what it was. But here's the crazy thing. The night, that I, the night that I became a Christian, there was an altar call. And, and I responded to that altar call. And I found myself standing up there with nothing but teenagers. Because it was youth night. Here I was, 21 years old, hair halfway down my back. And I'm standing amongst a bunch of teenagers. And I remember God impressing upon me. What a cool thing this is that they're making this decision now rather than making it at my stage in life. Because hopefully they'll be spared of a lot of grief that I've experienced by making a lot of bad choices. So I was kind of excited about that, and that kind of triggered when, when my pastor said that. I said, well, I don't know if I really like teenagers, but I think it's cool what Jesus can do in a teenager's heart. So I talked to my buddy Jim, who witnessed to me, and I said, what do you think? I'm, I'm thinking I'd like to volunteer to help with the youth group. And he goes, well, I was just thinking the same thing. I said, what, that I should volunteer? He goes, no, I was going to volunteer. I said, okay, well, let's be a team and let's do it. So we went and talked to our pastor. You know what he said? Fantastic, you're who I was praying for. <laughs> See, specific prayer really does work. So we went to work. We, we started this youth group, and I, was, I didn't know anything, right? I'm a brand-new baby Christian. Uh, all I knew is that Jesus loved me, and I loved him. That was all I had. And uh, so I told Jim, look, I'll just be the games guy, okay? Because there's nothing better than giving middle schoolers a game and then watching them play it and run into things and each other. And, you know, it's really amusing. I love doing that. Apparently not my spiritual gift. Uh, so, and Jim says, okay, and, and Jim's going to be the teacher. Okay, after about a month of doing that, Jim comes to me and he goes, I have no business standing up in front of people talking. He says, I, I, I can't do it. God has not enabled me to do that for whatever reason. Uh, I think you should try it. 
Okay, that's a great idea, Jim, but I don't know anything. And he says, well, you have a Bible, start studying it, and as you learn something, teach it to the kids. Okay, can't argue with that. <laughs> so I got my Bible out. This is what we did. We had the kids write Dear Abby letters, you know, advice letters. And then we would, we would give a teaching based on the, the letters they sent us. And the one I got for that week was, um, uh, should it bother me, uh, should cheating in school bother me as a Christian? <laughs> so that's what I did. I started looking up. I said, what does the Bible have to say about cheating? You know, and I, 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 my pastor helped me and we got some tools and, and, and I was actually having fun studying the Bible. And I was amazed at how it wasn't as intimidating as I thought it was. And it was making sense to me. And I discovered that in itself is a spiritual gift that God gives to us to be able to understand His Word. Okay? And then it was time for me, the guy who nearly flunked speech class, to talk to a bunch of intimidating teenagers about cheating in school from God's Word. I never had more fun in my entire life. Still scared me to death. You know? But kids came up and said, Yeah, I think I needed to hear that. Well, yeah, you did. (laughs) You didn't even ask that question. But that's great to hear a teenager go, I think I needed to hear that. Thank you for that. And then that led into a complete role reversal in the youth groups that that Jim and I had where I became the teacher, the prophet, and and he became the helps guy. Uh, And and he, man, he just, he flourished at that. He did such a good job. I'm so happy to have him as a team. So I say all this to to basically say um, my desire was to be obedient when I came to the church. I want to be obedient to Christ. I want to serve. And and I would try anything. And and if I found, if I discovered in myself, even though it exhausted me, I'll I'll guarantee I'll take a three-hour nap when I get home today. Okay. Uh, That even though it physically drained me, there was a spiritual energy that rather than being depleted, was growing. And I think, well, this must be where, what God has gifted me in. <laughs> and what a beautiful thing to be able to have that gift. And I, and I don't say that to, to crow about my gift or anything like that. I just say that it is a wonderful thing to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ and to be effective for His kingdom. It's wonderful. Okay? So, here's what I'm going to say to you. And then we're going to wrap it up here. If you find something that you're doing something, okay, let me say it that way. If you find that you're doing something and it, it's producing that kind of joy in you, and it's producing that spiritual energy in you, it doesn't seem to drain you uh, spiritually. And, and others are affirming you know, the work that you are doing, the effect that you are having. You just might be exercising your spiritual gift. Okay, Keep at it. Keep doing it. And don't limit it to just that gift. God might have given you other things that you haven't discovered yet. On the other side of the coin, if you find yourself watching everybody else do something, and all you want from church is for it to, I don't know, provide for you some kind of spiritual growth or benefit, you are definitely not using your spiritual gift. And you're definitely not growing. And and you're definitely not building up the church. Um, You're more of an anchor than a rudder. And I don't mean to sound harsh when I say that, but I think that's what Paul said when he said to the Corinthians, there's a reason I don't want you to be agnostic about spiritual gifts, because I want you to know the joy 
of working alongside Jesus Christ as he builds his kingdom. And the devil's going to throw all kinds of hell at you while you do that. But you're going to win. You're going to win. Edifice Rex is a triumph. What a cool thing to be a part of Jesus building up his church in this world that needs so desperately to know Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it, uh, it really does begin with you. It, it begins with you doing a work in our heart. And, and I just pray for that, Lord. I, I pray for a work in my heart, in my brothers' and sisters' hearts, so that we would desire to follow Jesus Christ like never before. That we would desire to be obedient. That we would hunger and yearn in our hearts to build up others, to be of some benefit to another person, that we would be hungry for Jesus Christ to be glorified. And Lord, that's what you gave us your spirit for, was was to do those things. So God, I ask for a move of your spirit right here, beginning with, with, with myself, but not constrained to just that, but sweeping through this whole body here. And I pray, Father, that the that it goes beyond the walls of this church and, and goes into our city. Because, Lord, more than anything else, this is what we should desire. That others might come to know you. So, Lord, here we are. Here's our hearts. We're not perfect people. But we are perfectly loved by a perfectly God, perfectly awesome God. Let your Holy Spirit rule in our hearts. And let us go forth from this place being a part of the greatest building project that ever came to this planet. And may that be done for the increase of your kingdom and for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.